0: All right. This is kind of a, a mission Sunday. And you know, uh, last week we've been we've been dealing with First Thessalonians and last week I talked about new bodies and I heard there were a number of people who were really excited because they're not sure what the model is that they're gonna get, but they're it's a new model. And uh, so we talked about the idea of the rapture and that we're gonna ascend to be with Jesus and body the old body is is resurrected and And changed, it's transformed, that which was perishable becomes imperishable, and uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, strength and and ability is returned uh, for eternity, because it's, it's an eternal body. But you know, I was planning for the message this week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I did my whole sermon. I got it all ready, and I thought, I'm going to come. And then I began to think about who the congregation was going to be, and we've got smaller children and different things. This is from uh, primarily the tribulation, because Paul talks about how we're going to be taken out of here, but then he talks about what's going to go on. And I thought, well, we're not going to talk about that this Sunday. So uh, I went back, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to talk about our priorities in life. What is important And we're going to talk about missions, Um, you know, just the importance of missions. We haven't focused on it here so much as a church. We do support missions. We're part of the the Southern Baptist Association, and 10% of everything we bring in, not all churches do that, but we do, uh, we tithe our income. What you give, 10% goes there, and it's for church planting. It's for missionaries going out worldwide. Worldwide certainly in our own nation as well as to other nations, and so we're involved in that, but you don't get to know the missionaries so much. I know in the past, the churches I've been in, we've had faith promise programs, and we've had missions programs, and we had individuals we, uh, we supported, we knew who they were, we got their prayer letters, uh, they came home, we got to see them, we built relationships, And they were, in a way, accountable to our church, a local church, for the support that we gave to them. And so it was exciting to have that kind of a missions ministry because we got to know our missionaries. And we knew who they were and what they were doing. And they'd send their prayer letters. And we knew what was taking place. So missions is so important for the local church. I I believe the local church... Uh, They go out with associations, but in so many ways, your local church should be your sending agent. If you come from a certain church, uh, you're responsible to them. Uh, You're responsible for going out as representatives of them, and I I think that's important. But uh, as I was going back over this message, I thought, what, uh, what really is important? Why do we send missionaries out? Why do we have pastors? Why do we have churches? What's important in life? What's the primary importance? Uh, politicians, they, they know what they want to do. If, if you have a president, we can go back over our presidents. I'll, I'll list some of them for you. And you know exactly what their priorities were. You knew what they were planning to do. JFK was probably civil rights. If we go back to him and also sending men to space, he made that commitment. Any of you realize what yesterday was? 50th anniversary of when men walked on the moon. Uh, Amazing thing as we look back on that. But uh, he had promised that would happen. Um, Lyndon Baines Johnson, social reform. He was really into that. Uh, Martin Luther King was not a president, but certainly uh, civil liberties, uh, civil rights movement was his focus. And we know that today. Uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon, you all know about him because he was impeached. But Richard Nixon also brought us home from Vietnam. Vietnam. Richard Nixon also opened up, he was was an international type president, and he opened up China uh, to the United States. He did a lot of things like that. That was kind of his focus, and he made the mistake of uh, trying to eavesdrop on the Democrats what they were planning, and, you know, I don't think that caused any great danger to the United States, but he lied about it. and. You know, we we sometimes only get caught up with the bad things people do instead of some of the good things they did. Um, Ronald Reagan. uh, Certainly, I think um, economics uh, and then tear down that wall, communism. I I, I think of Clinton was probably social welfare as much as anything. George W. Bush. uh, He was into education. He and his wife, no child left behind was his motto. That was his focus uh didn't want to have any child that was not educated properly and after the World Trade Center his focus changed and he began to get more involved with terrorism and those kinds of things that were going on. Um, Obama, uh, social reform, uh, national health care, those are things that he really strived for and, and was thinking about. Uh, George Bush, I would have to say that his focus is economics. Uh, bringing companies back, making sure people have jobs, uh, the economic welfare of the country. People get pulled off away from what he's doing, but that is more his focus, I believe, as a businessman, is the issue of economics and, and uh, a sound financial base in America. Um, you know, you can look at a lot of different things and, and what changes the world, and... Most of those presidents accomplished something. Carter was probably social welfare, I look back on it, uh, civil, civil rights. Uh, most of those presidents accomplished something, but you know it did very little to change the world. Politicians don't necessarily change the world. Uh, they, they say a lot of things, they do a lot of things, they usually have something they want to accomplish, but they don't change the world. Uh, Military might doesn't change the world. We've had great military uh, countries, and and they really haven't changed the heart of man or the way man gets along or what's going on. Politicians, as much as they'd like to think they change things, they, they really don't change what's going on in the world very much. And money doesn't do it. Boy, we think we throw money at people. Education. I've heard so many things about whatever you're training people for. It may have to do with sexuality. It may have to do with getting along. It may have to do with all kinds of things. But I'll tell you something. As much as I encourage people to be educated and have a good education and we want education for everybody, it doesn't necessarily change the heart of people. And it doesn't change where they focus. The only thing that changes people... Is when we change an individual from the inside out, one person at a time, and that's where it comes. That's where it's got to happen. Two thousand years ago, the guy that did the most to change the world was a man by the name of Jesus Christ, and he started with just a little boy. He started basically with one or two. I remember he was he was baptized. It talks about that, and then John and Andrew followed him. They sat with him for a day. John or Andrew went and got his brother Peter and. Uh, It expanded. He had the three that were closest to him, and then he had the twelve. And then when he ascended into heaven, there were 120 that were in the upper room waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And after that, Peter went out, and they were changing things now. Peter went out, and he preached a message, and 3,000 souls came to know Jesus Christ. It says in that same chapter that God was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You go to chapter 4 of uh, the book of Acts, and probably in there about the fourth verse, it says the church was now made up of 5,000 men. And that doesn't include their wives and their kids, and, and so the church was exploding. Exponentially, it was just exploding because of the message that was going out. By the fourth century, the whole Roman Empire was now Christian. It's amazing what Jesus Christ did and how Christianity Has changed the world and yet so often with people not knowing jesus christ we slip back into the same old patterns of hate and anger and bitterness and crime and all the problems we deal with in the world and so we realize there is only one person that changes the world and that's jesus christ and we have A responsibility then to go out and share with others uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what missions is about. It's it's going beyond our borders, going beyond our church to share with people. And missions, boy, I hear people say, I've called the missions. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to go to some nation far away. You want to know something? If you're called to missions and you're not a missionary at home, you probably won't be one far away either. It doesn't happen. The heart is going to be there either at home or far away. It doesn't matter whether it's South America or Central America or Asia or India or Africa or Europe or someplace on the East Coast. We don't change simply because we change locations. The issue is what is our commitment to God and how much are we going to serve him wherever he places us. You know, we we need to have the heart of God. I, I appreciate the book of Acts where it's talking about David's attitude and David's heart. And in chapter 13, verse 22, it talks about David. And it says, after he'd removed him, he raised up David. After he'd removed Saul, and he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do his will or do my will. Are you a person after the heart of God? Is your goal to serve God? Or sometimes when the opportunities come up, do you just automatically say, I'm so busy, or that's going to cost so much, or I can't do that. And we miss out on the blessings that God gives, the blessings that the people here this morning had because they took time to go for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. It makes a difference in who we are. Jesus, you know, I I look at what what Christ said. And he said, this is my priority. I want you to get it because it has to do with all ministry. And he said, uh, love the Lord your God. We already heard that mentioned this morning. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. That's a, that's all the Ten Commandments put together as well as the other 600 or whatever it is. And love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Worship God. He is our focus. He is our priority. What he wants has to be the desire. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's the idea of worshiping God and not just going through a, a forum up here on Sunday mornings, but it's really turning our hearts to focus on Him and doing His will and honoring Him, and and then it goes on that and, and it says you need to have a ministry to people, love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes kind of hard to love our neighbors; uh, they aren't very lovable. But uh, you know, our desire should be to say, "Well, I want the best for that person." How do I minister? How do I minister to the people that are? Or down there at Empire? How do I minister to others? It's it's easy to say we have to go a long ways to do a missions work, and yet it's so close to slip down to Modesto. It's not very far. Um, the great commandment is to go and make disciples. It's, it's It's in your going, in your process of going is the idea here. You make disciples of all nations. So, we are to go and see people come to know Jesus Christ. It's in your daily lifestyle, or it may be that you go to Nigeria or someplace else. I mentioned Nigeria because a few years ago, Darlene and I got the opportunity to go over there for just a short time and and build some relationships. But uh, it takes time to really build strong relationships and to really have an impact in people's lives, it doesn't just happen overnight. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And Corwin alluded to this, bringing them into the fellowship of the body of Christ, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, I believe, is the first responsibility of every new believer is to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, you need to do that. It's it's an act of obedience to God teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, and you know, we can go out and, and do a quick hit on a beach or in a street or any other place, but if we don't go back and teach to observe, to do God's will, we've missed out on what it means to make disciples. It's not just about evangelism. So I want to go to this passage this morning. Boy, I ate up my time talking but um, Matthew chapter 14, and it's it's the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know, bear with me, give me a little more time this morning because I think it's important. But beginning in the 13th verse and going on down through uh, verse 21, let me just read it says now when jesus heard about john he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself and and when the people heard of this they followed him on foot from the cities and when he went ashore he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them remember that he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick when it was evening the disciples came to him and they said, this place is desolate, and, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. You know, send them down to Jack in a Box right down the street or McDonald's or wherever they're going to go. Well, they didn't have those, so send them home. But Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here, ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed the food. Breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and they were satisfied and they picked up the pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides the women and children, so probably 10, 12, 14, 15,000 people. I just want to say, as we go back to verse 13, it said, when Jesus saw them, he had compassion for them. And when he went ashore, he saw the large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Back in, in just a couple pages over here in Matthew chapter 9, it, it speaks to the Lord's attitude. And, and when we talk about our priorities, whatever they are, chapter 9, verse 36 through 38 it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech or pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God to send out workers into the harvest. And do you know what happens when you pray? <laughs> you better be ready to go. Don't just pray for somebody else to go. Lord, you want me? See, do you really, or do we really have, do I really have compassion on the lost? Am I concerned about those who spiritually are without the Lord? It's very easy to come to church and teach and go through some theological lessons or some doctrine or some of those things and, and get together and have fellowship and and show a movie, but do I have compassion for the lost we just sang a song a minute ago it says let me love the things that you love it's in that song we just sang let me love the things that you love what does god love that's a dangerous song do you know that because god loves the world he loved the world so much he sent his son to die for it. do we love the world around us that much Let me love the things that you love, a compassionate heart. I, I was with a, an association of churches before I came to the Southern Baptist, and the Southern Baptists do the same thing. But I remember one of our uh, directors, uh, we had all of Northern California, and he was talking in Nevada. And he was talking about people that we'd reached through our church planning, and and he'd written it down. It said prostitutes and lawyers. Boy, those are on the opposite end. Street people and company CEOs, dealers in casinos. We had major churches in Reno and uh, in South Lake Tahoe on Easter. They would have their their Easter service down in the bottom of one of the casinos, and the dealers and everybody would come down for Easter service with them. And uh, when they would have their services in the morning, they would get ready, and their, their keyboardists and their players and their uh, their bands were made up of people that had been playing the night before in the different in the different casinos, and, and they were coming to know the Lord, and it was exciting to see that. You name it, boy, people came to know Jesus Christ, but it doesn't happen unless you go, and so you got to have compassion for people to share with them that they might know Jesus Christ. Number verse 15 and 16 it says, when it was evening. The disciples came to him and said, the place is desolate. The hour is already late, and, and the disciples were saying to Jesus, send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, you don't need to go, They don't need to send them away. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Uh, back in John, uh, we have the parallel passage to this. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And uh, in, in chapter 6, 5 through 7 of John, it says, uh, well, let me go up to verse 5. It says, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd, was coming to him. He said to Philip, Well, where, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And this he was saying to test them, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip said to him, 200 denarii, that's almost a year's wages. A denarii was a day's wage, and so 200 with time off. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive even a little. We need to have a willing heart if we're going to do what God calls us to do. And so often when we start a ministry ministry, We say, well, we'd like to do this or this or this or this. Do you know what we do? We check our budget. We check our money. How much money do we have? Can we really afford to do this? Now, the Bible says that we are to count the cost, and I agree with that. But so often, we limit what God can do by our lack of faith. What's it going to cost? We don't have enough. We only have 200 denarii. We couldn't feed 10, 12,000 people. That's <laughs> that's way beyond our capacity to be able to make things work out. The thing is, if God calls us to some place like Modesto and opens up the door, are we willing to go? might cost us a little. might cost us some time. God has... Uh, Bless this church. Do you realize that? We don't make our budget every day, every week. We seldom do. But let me tell you something. We are blessed over most other churches. We have no rent cost. We have no mortgage. We own this whole block of two acres free and clear, which says we should have plenty to go out and do the work that God called us to. I know so many churches that struggle to pay their mortgage week after week, month after month, and God has freed us up from that. And if we simply gave according to biblical instruction and and people gave the percentage that, that we see as a standard for the Bible, and I believe that's 10%, do you know what? We would have more, way more than enough to carry on the ministries necessary here and a whole lot more. God gives us a job to do. You know, Andrew went out, and uh, he was looking for people that could help. He didn't know exactly who he'd get, and he found a little boy. And the little boy had two fish and five barley loaves. I would imagine that little boy got up in the morning, and he said, I'm going to go hear Jesus. And his mother said, don't you leave this house until I make you a lunch. And she threw a lunch together. Maybe he had a little pail or a little bag or whatever he would carry it in. And he went off, and he helped that, held that thing all day long. He didn't eat it. And all of a sudden, Andrew was out there. Anybody got some food that we can share with everybody? Little boy said, I've got two fish and five barley loaves. Wow, okay. Do you think he was the only one that had food in that crowd of 5,000 men with their wives and kids? I don't think so. I think when they went out asking for food, most of them both probably said, well, if I give it, I'm not going to have enough for me. I've got to save it for my family. I've got to be frugal with what I've got here. And the little boy said, here, you can have it all. And they took it to Jesus, and Jesus took those two little fish. He told people to sit down. He prayed. He blessed the food. And let me just say something. You may at the time say, I don't have time to pray during the day. I, I really believe every one of us should pray and thank God for the food every time we eat. If nothing more, you sit down with your kids, if you have kids, and you train them to give thanks for what God has given you. We need to pray and thank God for what he gives us. Anyway, he took his food, and Jesus prayed, and then he began to break it. You see, the little boy had a willing heart. He was willing to give what he had we need to have that willing heart that says okay Lord if this is what you need in fact I believe what the Bible teaches us is that when we give to God God will respond to our needs and so they took that and they broke it and Jesus broke it and they gave it out and they had plenty for everybody you know there's a uh, story of a village in France after World War II and in that village they had, had a beautiful statue of Jesus And uh, with the war going on, the statue was smashed and broken into pieces. And the villagers were just so dispirited and downhearted. They broke our statue. And so they came together after the war and they began to pick up the pieces and they put all the pieces together. And they had everything together except they didn't have Jesus' hands. They couldn't find his hands And how can you have Jesus' statue without Jesus' hands? How can you have a statue without the scars in his hands? How how can you do that? And they were talking about what did they need to do, and maybe they'd have somebody come in and make a new statue. And finally, one person came up with an idea, and it prevailed. And at the base of the statue, there's a brass plaque, and it was attached, and it reads, I have no hands but your hands. If we are to accomplish the Lord's work, we must not only be compassionate and have a heart for people who maybe are struggling or uh, don't have enough or uh, don't know the Lord, but we also need to be willing. We have a ministry that needs that. Yeah, I'll make time. I'll do that. I'll be involved. You need people to help with rooted. Yeah, I'll be there. Need people to help with youth. I'll be there. Something on Sunday morning. I'll be there. You're going to have a ministry in Modesto. I'll go. Now, you're not going to be able to go to everything, but certainly we need to, instead of immediately saying no, begin to say, Lord, do you want me to go? Do you want to use me? I think of that little boy that gave two fish and five barley loaves. And he was like some of the children you talked about this morning. Joe talks about the little girl that ran up and gave him a big hug and said, don't leave. Some of the rest of you had kids that came up, don't leave. Lance talked about the little boy about that high. They kept singing the song they'd learned. every time he saw him. Don't leave. Verses 17 to 21 of our passage. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking upward towards heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and they were all satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the pieces, broken pieces, 12 full baskets. How many disciples were there? Don't any of you know? 12, yeah, 12 disciples. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides the women and children. I think we need to have an expectant heart for what God's going to do. The key is when we freely give to God, uh, God's going to make sufficient resources available if we allow him to. 2 Corinthians uh, in the ninth chapter, it's, it's uh, they were taking an offering to be sent down to Jerusalem. And... Uh, Corinth had said, the, the church at Corinth said, wow, we're going to be involved, we're going to do it. And then they'd kind of fallen off and they weren't doing everything that they said they were going to do. And in the ninth chapter, in the sixth verse, it says, Now I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Every farmer knows that. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, not because somebody's looking over your shoulder, but, man, God loves a cheerful giver. The attitude is so important, but, but the giving is, too. If we simply say, well, I'll give a little bit here or there, we probably aren't we're going to experience the blessing that God has for us. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 3, and, of course, we know the great passage there, 5 and 6, Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight but down in verse 9 and 10 it says honor the Lord from your wealth from the what's left over of your produce honor the Lord from your wealth from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And the implication is if you don't give, you don't expect a blessing. I am not one who believes that we give to get rich. I, I don't carry that kind of a gospel. I look at Paul. He didn't have very much. Peter didn't have very much. John didn't have very much. They didn't have a lot of money. But, boy, the blessings were overwhelming. And it says if we sow a little, we only reap a little. If we sow a lot, we reap a lot. What's God want us to do? He certainly wants us to reach out to places like down in Modesto. I believe that. I I hope you guys go back a number of times this year, Corwin. Uh, If I had my druthers, I'd say go every Sunday night. You set up a church and you disciple those people and see God make a change with them. But I'm not sure everybody can do that. So that may not be practical. But, you know, like you said a couple times at least, go back and minister to them. They look for you. God wants us to carry on that same mission ministry right here. You know, if you were to set a goal and a vision for this church and you said, what does it look like in three months? What does it look like in six months? What will it look like in a year, three years, five years, ten years? And if we said every time it will look like about somewhere between 150 and 200 people, I don't think we're doing God's will. I look at the early church and it exploded. I don't think our church has to be... A gigantic church. In fact, I think if you got 150 church it plants another 150 church and another 150 church. Man, it doesn't have to get more than 150 if you keep planting churches and sending people out to do it. But if you don't and your church doesn't grow, then your church isn't alive. God didn't call us to necessarily be a mega church, but he called us to reach Brentwood. I believe that he called us to reach Discovery Bay. He called us to reach Antioch. He called us to reach our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and then even the uttermost part of the earth, no matter where God might send you. But the issue for each one of us we have to ask is, Number one, do I have a compassion for those who don't know Jesus Christ? Number two, am I willing to do whatever he wants me to do? Am I willing to work with my church body to see those things accomplished God wants us to do? And I am so thankful for some of the guys that have stepped up and done things and uh, to make this church more dynamic and accepting, We we were at a conference a couple of weeks ago, Corwin and I, down in Saddleback. They said the average person, if they come in as a visitor, the first one was seven seconds. They decide whether they're going to come back just by what they see on the outside. The other one was seven minutes. They they determine, if you have a visitor, they're going to determine in seven minutes whether they're going to be back next Sunday. That's before I ever preach or Corwin ever preaches. That's based on the people that are here. And how we relate, it's based on our grounds when they walk up. Well, we've had some people that have sacrificed over the last couple of weeks just to take time and come in in the evenings. Or yesterday, a couple of guys came and two of our young people and just got the weeds down and did such a great job. What's God call us to do to reach people for him? Because all those things make a difference. willing heart, and then an expectant heart. Expect God to do something. Don't go and do things without expecting God to do something because we've got the same God now that was here 2,000 years ago. And we need to expect, that's called faith, that he'll do something. Missions. Man, I, I just want to say thank you to all of you who went. Not that you went for me, but you went for the Lord and you touched hearts. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you for going. Let's pray, shall we? Father, what a great opportunity. You know, I, I look and, and maybe I get, I feel like I get intense sometimes about some of these things. But Father, man, I just want us to do your will. I want us to experience your blessings. I, as a church, I, I want us to be where you want us to be not just where we want to be. In our prayer time this morning, the question came up, why aren't there more churches in that empire living situation? Why aren't churches in there sharing from down in Modesto? And too often it's because we're looking at what you're going to do for us and we send missionaries someplace else without even realizing you put the mission field in our own backyard. Help us seek to do your will, Father, and to accomplish your will and experience your blessing as a result of our faithfulness. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.